As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? You mad? Uh, hello, Louisa. What's up? Hello, Jake. Hello. How's it going? You good? Are you back? Yeah, I have a handlebar mustache and now. I know. What's up with that? So somebody sent me a picture. <laughs> and it was of you on stage dressed like Fred Durst. And they were like, yo, come get your boy. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I just liked it. But I was like, oh, because on Halloween. Oh, I, I forget that this is public. And I immediately am like, Jake, let me tell you what I did. But yeah, I guess I might as well. Uh, I had plans to go on a party. Mine's very short. And then I want to hear all about fest. I planned to go to a party, and then uh, the person I was going to go with got sick. They got the flu. Uh, not COVID, just a regular flu. So then I was like, oh, I could go to this party by myself or with somebody else. Or I could just take acid at 1130 in the morning. <laughs> so I tripped all of Halloween or like Saturday before Halloween. Totally forgot to put on a costume. Didn't go out. Just had like the best time in my backyard doing stuff, coloring. Uh, Making lists, getting things done, cleaning. Life was grand. Took care of my plants, played with my cat outside. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful, but it was very uneventful. How was your uh, your fest weekend? Was it worth skipping Halloween festivities for? What was your favorite part? What happened? Tell me about it. Yeah, I think it was worth it. I think it was like uh, better than whatever Halloween would have been here because it sounds like that's what everyone's Halloween was, was what you just described, you know? Yeah. Um, cause nothing ever actually happens in New York because everything happens. And so you never find the fucking thing. You just go to a house party and that's kind of whatever. Right. Um, so it was cool, man. It was really weird the way it played out because like originally, B and the other comic I both I went down there with both had originally like shows that were gonna be like a tour that constituted the whole thing, and both of our sets of shows got canceled. And then we were both like, Well, should we still do this or should we try to set up something else? And nothing really came together. So me and Anya Volz, that's the other comic, we were talking about it and we were like, I guess we're just gonna drive the 17 hours straight down the coast from New York to Gainesville in like one shot. And the only way that makes sense to do that is to, to leave at like eight o'clock at night the night before so that you get there in time to like check in to the hotel. Because otherwise, if you leave in like the morning, you have to get another hotel, like stay overnight and stuff. So it's real weird. So we just left at night and did this weird ass like overnight rave thing to like rocket across the coast. And uh, it was actually like really cool because like I didn't really know her, you know, me and like I think she's very cool now. I'm sure we're on the show and stuff. Yeah. Um, and we this is the thing you do when you're a comic and you do this with another person where you like you podcast each other without recording like <laughs> <laughs> you do like a wtf while mark Marin while you mad yeah, yeah. whatever oh did you guys have a, a a discussion of which of your tweets pissed pissed on you off 
Did they bring that up? I don't know. Are they <laughs> no. a or are they a she? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. They're a they, but they did not sell me that. No. <laughs> so, no? Oh. Do you want to I was just wondering. That? No, because that's normally the what the what white the WTF version oh, of Why You Mad. I thought it's you... coming to be like, I like Jake now, but I used to have him blocked because <laughs> no sorry i thought you had a specific example no like, no oh. she she they did not tell me anything uh, uh i basically was uh wondering if the, this happened in person and i was like oh no i missed it <laughs> <laughs> no no, no but think, so you guys had a good time yeah i really like their uh you know their philosophy on what's going on in the world and stuff right now and mm-hmm. uh we should probably i'm not even gonna get into that because i think that'll be a good conversation at some point because i talked about to have them on the show yeah yeah um so uh spoiler alert in the future that might be an episode but um yeah yeah, so yeah we got down there and uh it was it was cool like yeah i couldn't really figure out there's there's fest is a weird one because it's cool that there's comedy on it uh but it's like its own it's a subcultural thing and it has this overarching theme of being punk, but it's like a certain type of punk. It's like mall punk. And I had friends texting me <laughs> like I was putting photos up of shows I was at. And I had friends like texting me jokes about how like it's fr- it's all white people there. Right. And stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's so not like at a strip mall. No, it was, it's so, it's cool, actually. It's in Gainesville, Florida, which is like a little college town, right? Yeah. And in this college town, I guess what the deal is, is that there's this big thing every year in late October where there's a huge Gators, that's like their college football team. It's a huge Gators away game that like people that are diehard into the college football thing go away to watch. So because all these normal ass sports people go away, all these other people who consider themselves nerds and punks and whatever, who are like kind of not into that shit, get they they use the vacuum of the city to throw this festival. And because that's cute and fun, you can invite people in from out of town and the downtown is empty because people aren't clubbing and stuff. So there's like this infrastructure in place, and uh, it was pretty cool because you can drink outside now because of COVID and stuff. So you just take your beers everywhere and shit, and uh, it's cool. But then, so the because there's that. I mean, to me, I'm always like, I, I guess I was wondering like, there's got to be like people that are into both of those things that are conflicted. Like, that's not really a a real thing that people. A lot of people think the world is divided up into jocks and nerds, like an 80s movie, but it's a, yeah. if you talk to people from subcultures, a lot of them are into sports, and a lot of you talk to sports yeah. people, a lot of them are into music. It's like, not really the way it is. But um, that's the pretense of the whole thing. And so there's there's that, and then there's also, like, there's, like, diversity, which, like, this person who was texting me this, I was like, no, it's not true. It was like literally, I was at a ska show and there was literally like a black dude standing next to me, like dancing and shit. And, yeah. I, and I was like, I hate to break it to you, but you know, your thing isn't true either. Like, this is kind of stupid. Um, but what I thought was kind of interesting is that there were a lot of people of color, like on the comedy lineup and like, a f- like one of uh, this guy, Jaron Milan, I think was talking about it. And, kind of broke the uh tension about that a little bit and i thought it was kind of interesting where he was talking about how like um he 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 was joking about how what he has to 
fit in, right? When he's hanging out at a place like this. And so you have like two selves when you're the black dude at the skate park or whatever, or in, you know, this like mall punk sort of world. And then also your other self. And he was kind of doing jokes, reacts out both of them and stuff. Um, and it was interesting. I don't know. I guess I got kind of, I was kind of set off about it because I was talking about this and thinking about this. And then like, I had a guy, uh, do a punchline. One dude looked at me in this, this comic and he was like, why are you guys drinking? in the street is it legal now like what the hell's going on and then the other guy this white comic put his arm around my neck and he went we're white and that was the punchline to the joke and it always pisses me off because even though it's technically true uh it's still like misunderstanding like it's kind of erasure or whatever yeah because i think I i think i figured it out i think what it is is the reason like white passing latino is complicated is because if you're black and you're mixed with white, you're black. But if you're Latino and you're mixed with white, you are both white, white. and Latino. Yeah. Like, well, the yeah, exactly. Math is different. No, but there will be people who will be like, you are white. Even like, like Afro Latinos specifically will be like, oh, but you are white because you can pass. So no matter what, you're white. Right. But I don't, and but so I like so it so when they say that. And I hate yeah. it when a white person says it because I'm like, no, this is actually yes. really annoying because you are being blind to something and including me in like your worldview in a way that actually the math doesn't Erases work out. my other part. Yeah. Yeah. Like it works out to my disadvantage. The fact yeah. that you think that because then you're like a dick to me as if I have like same situation as you, which is not true on certain, certain yeah. levels or whatever. I don't know. Um, so that was like, we're going to talk about this later because of my TV watching. Okay. Uh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Um, so that was all cool. Uh, or, I mean, that was all interesting and stuff and ultimately whatever. I, I mean, I, I also, uh, every, everybody contains multitudes and shit, right? And like, I, there's a big part of me that really enjoys that type of music and stuff. It's not all, it's like a little bit poppy for me, but there was certain stuff that I got really into, which is actually kind of great because then I didn't have music festival anxiety where I was like, oh, I gotta go see this, this, and this, and this. And, oh no, they're at the same time. Like, I had like a few things I really wanted to see. I saw Dave Dondero. That was really cool. He's like a music legend that like is just, uh, he tours with like me and Bishka and types of people like that, but like nobody that knows that he's the inspiration for the voice of um connor oberst one of the most famous musicians in the fucking world now <laughs> like literally said i wouldn't sound the way i do if it wasn't for dave dondero and he's just like a guy i got to go fucking see when i'm on the road now so very cool to see like him and um i don't know like mikey Eric and all this sort of stuff um but the i get well so two things happened right the first one i guess i'll get into music first because this is kind of hanging over my head uh, I, I got to see this band I really wanted to see. Like, almost the entire reason I just went ahead and pulled the trigger and was like, let's go do Fest, is because I really wanted to see this band called Days and Days, which is, they're from Houston, where I'm from, and they're kind of like... Days and Days? Yeah. Dies and Dies? Okay. Well, it's sort of a play on words, because it's D-S-E, and then the second one is Days, as in to be in like days, a Days. Like in Days Confused. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. Days and Days. Got it. Okay understood yeah and they're really cool because um they've been going on for a long time and like folk punk the type of music they play most things they make one record and then they all fall apart because they're all drunk train wrecks and stuff um and they all kind of do the same shit but this band kind of transcended like the genre a little bit where they have been a thing for a long time and they've just 
like been riding the rails and fucking touring nonstop and stuff. And there's sort of this traveling amorphous. It's almost like Wu Tang, where there's like two central members and then just all these rotating people. But it's it's like folk punk Wu Tang. So the rotating people are like a guy who plays a washboard and a guy who plays a bucket and stuff, and like a fucking person with a trumpet, you know, whatever. But the the thing that's really cool about them, and I hadn't really put all it right. to good. <laughs> I'm eating nerds, but <laughs> I just wanted to say that's common. I think in like studio and session musicians. Yeah. They rotate as part of different bands or ensembles and just kind of like are like gig musicians, you know, like freelance instrumentalists. Yeah. So then they just like move throughout. So, um, I think this is something. I guess like different. in electronic music, it's pretty common to have two front people or one front person and then all the other people change depending on availability and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyway, continue. I think this is a little bit different because this band makes records and they actually make pretty, like really good records. So maybe that might be an element to it, but I, it's like, I had a thing happen and I it's directly contrary to that when I was watching them and I'll explain it. Um, because I've been listening to this band for like a while and I honestly had been kind of fixated on them recently because i was going through all that like weird thing i was talking to you about a couple months weeks ago but just like kind of dwelling on like misery and stuff and this music is all like very like dark in a sense and then it's about being like drunk and stuff and like really honest sort of ruminations on uh your relationship with like alcohol and misery and stuff like that like um there's this song called darling dopamine where the lyrics are like oh my darling dopamine does the uh does the reward outweigh the risk um it was is a it's like a weak nauseous or something i can't do it on the spot because i'm talking to no microphone i just freaked myself out uh (laughs) there was does the reward outweigh the risk a weak trembling and sick yada yada so it's like asking this question you know is it worth it to have a a sense of normalcy a sense of numbing normalcy on tap does it does it reward so it's like asking like you know this constant cycle you're in like is it worth it to be like nauseous and hungover all the time there's this other song called the misanthropic drunken loner which is kind of about being like it's kind of honest like a solo poly-ish sort of song Mm -hmm. this person is singing and it's like a guy and a woman are the core of the band so there's this cool back and forth and he's Mm -hmm. sort of talking about like you know how every day is breakfast he eats out of the medicine cabinet which is like it's talking about just waking up and taking (laughs) tylenol and stuff and (laughs) um but how it's like still preferable to all these like toxic relationships and sort of stuff he's that uh and it's it's very dark like lyrically but then it's like people playing uh banjos and stuff and so it's kind of upbeat and i didn't really it's totally my vibe and i kind of always like forget that my soul really lives in this crust punk shit until i see it and so when i went and saw them live even though the one of the members was like not there and stuff it was still the thing that hit me immediately was this contrast between what it's like to listen to this stuff alone and then what is actually going on with this band which is they're a live band like they're you're supposed to see them live they make good records but there's two types of bands right there's bands like a Radiohead or something like that where the point is to make the record as good as possible and then go like tour and play the album and try to replicate what happened on the album because you're like an artist and you make a piece of work. 
And then there's shit kind of more like stand up where the fucking best part of it is live. And when you make an album, you're just trying to catch like the experience of it live. Right. Yeah. And I think this band is that like I noticed immediately. I had never even thought about it. Been listening to this band for like months. There's no drummer. Like it's just a bunch of people standing on stage and the rhythm is all flying off of like these guitars and stuff and banjos and weird buckets and stuff. And the reason for that is this type of music comes from busking. It's like homeless kid shit where they would start just jamming with each other on the street. You can't carry a drum set around. You do that sort of yeah. stuff. So it generates this really unique thing. And so they've always just had like this constant jam going on where there's like this really unique sound that came out of it because it's like an acoustic guitar and then a fucking trumpet. And there was like an accordion at one point and like nothing kind of sounds like this. So I love accordions. It moves through all these genres and stuff like this. But when I was watching them play and they're singing about the alcoholism and stuff and like the shakes and like this, you know, these kind of interesting ruminations on it, they're having a great fucking time. And that's the missing element when you're listening to an album is you don't see these people like grinning at each other and fucking screaming and throwing back beers and stuff. And it's just as it's like this vibe that I'm very much into. So I immediately it immediately changed the way I was thinking about my entire life. Cause I was just like, right. Uh, the whole missing piece of the equation when you're like ruminating on all this pain and weird anxiety and stuff is, you know, you can sit there and kind of be stuck in like trying to find the solutions to your problems and like trying to, you know, come up with the, the missing piece of the equation. Cause you're a logical creature, but like, what this band is doing and what I like to do, honestly, and I just forget is like live in it and like write music, but to kind of celebrate it and shit and like write jokes about it. It's very funny to write jokes about how you're a drunken piece of shit. Every comic does it, you know? Um, and so I was like, Oh, like I had such a great fucking time watching this band. I was like, this did something to my brain where it just like really made me like kind of find my bearings and stop living in Judeo-Christian time. Sorry to use the wrong f- phrasing of that. Uh, yeah, Christian time, apparently. <laughs> Christian yeah. time, but like not in the moment, mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Oh, what what is this all yeah. leading to or whatever, you know? And I was like, oh, right. No, it's about right now. It's about right now, right? Yeah. So I'm feeling pretty good about that because like it that's awesome, yeah. put me in plus I was in Florida. So that's the kind of the home of crusty punk. And it just like I, f- I felt a layer of crust just come back over me. And I was like, no, I, this you're supposed to be this. Stop fighting it. You know, so I was like hung over yeah. on the plane back here. And I was like, yeah, I kind of feel good just being hung over. Like, it's weird to think about it that way because you're always trying to fight stuff like that. But now I'm very much in my element, I think. <laughs> that's great yeah i'm gonna go to miami next week actually uh not is it next yeah next week um so i'm prepared to embody the tropical goth that i have always been and get back into it yeah um yeah no but that's really awesome that you had that like uh appreciation for the live experience of it um plus the shows were really good I had yeah. really good sets. I think I like people coming up yeah. to me all through the fest because they saw me. Because like this thing happened, I'll tell you this, and then I'll be done. This oh no, yeah, go for it. Thing happened where uh, it was really funny. So it's a you know fucking punk festival, and they have comedy at it, which means nobody knows how to stage manage that because it's yeah. all music people and stuff. And um, even though this is like the nineteenth one, um. And I think the like 10th or something where they had comedy. I did the first one they ever did that had comedy a long time ago. 
Um, and it's grown into this thing where you have all these like hard times comics and shit. And then like Chris Gethard was the headliner. And he's very much. Oh, I saw him post. Yeah. He's, this is, he's the perfect headliner for this festival because it's like. Yeah, totally. It's emo, you know? <laughs> and he's. Not just emo, but he also, uh, is one of the early made himself through the, like, pursuing his own audience, even pre podcast or in a different way than podcasts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he is an alt king. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there is no other, like, more alt king than chris gethard i don't think you could get yeah that's a very good point yeah like, yeah he was like so he fucking was like a public access tv show like he made the industry pay attention to him because he went out and he did all his things on his own and they were weird ass fucking things <laughs> and they're <laughs> on weird fucking platforms chris gethard rules yeah yeah he's great and he was yeah. great uh like he fit perfectly right into this yeah. thing so um what happened is we showed up there and like the show started off real weird because they didn't know like they just put a, a list of comics up they didn't even realize like someone's got to kind of host this and that kind of affects like the way the time lays out and stuff like this and they're trying to be real strict about time because of you know everything else is running on time you have to be real sensitive about time when you're doing like music stuff because there's breakdown and shit yeah. so it's just all stuff that didn't translate so like this uh this poor stage manager woman she's started she's just like oh, we gotta start what how do we start you know do we just throw someone up <laughs> and then we were like explaining the concept of a host so she grabbed this random guy uh this well it's not a random guy a random Hilarious. comic no this is awesome uh-huh and oh, he didn't yeah, know he was comic. supposed to host because he wasn't it oh. he was just on it and so she's like you're hosting so he goes up and he does his host set and i think she didn't think that's his thing so she's like freaking out and she's like trying to oh, wave at him lady. to get him off stage yeah. and <laughs> She was doing various things, and she kind of yeah. figured out the, the flashlight, but then she stopped because she got self-conscious about it. So I went over yeah. to her, and I was like, listen, in stand-up comedy, we all have this thing called the flashlight. So, like, if you yeah. do that, and then he'll get off stage. Yeah. Like, I promise. Do it to every comic. It's a thing that you wouldn't know about. They'll get off in two minutes. Things. Yeah. So explain it to her. I mean, we shouldn't be telling people that. Don't flash your lights at <laughs> shows, people. Don't be rude. So um she figured this out eventually and a bunch of weird shit happened with him like he left because she told him to leave and then everyone got mad at him as if he had left like on his own and he was already kind of a creepy guy to begin with it's just like neck tattoos and stuff and his whole act <laughs> is about him he's, he's anti-hero kind of comic in his own act so everyone was like man fuck shaw like the whole time even though he didn't do anything wrong he came back in everyone's booing him like you left you uh -huh. left and he didn't it was so funny but anyway so this this is all playing out over the course of my set or over the course of the show. And I'm like, I don't know, five, 10 comics in or something like that. And I, uh, so I had, I had a really good set because I like to interact with the show, like kind of as it's happening and riff on stuff and shit. And I was talking about how something really funny happened that no one could see, but me, which is when that stage manager was trying to get Shaw off stage. She, uh, she didn't know what to do, which is not her fault at all. But this funny thing happened where she wrote the words times up on a piece of paper and was holding up them up at him from the side of the stage. And it looked like she was me tooing him like times up like Aziz Ansari or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really funny. That's funny. It was yeah. a big fucking laugh in the middle of the fucking thing. And, you know, and yeah. uh, anyway, I had really good sets. It was really uh, it was pretty sick. And um, then I did Jacksonville after that and was a little bit too hungover, but did like half an hour. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty in love with 
touring again and comedy again. Yeah. And I know we change our minds every week on this show about whether it's good or not, but I'm We're back. We're free to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in. It's good. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm um, happy for you. What's, uh, what's up with you? I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm doing really great. Everything's wonderful, but I've been just like... Uh, I guess like a trad and <laughs> just like busy with work, <laughs> you know, chilling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been like watching a lot of media. Well, I don't know because I've had work stuff happening and so I've been working a lot of hours. And then I had, uh, the most recent casual sets, which, uh, went really well. Almost every comic had a really good set. And the one who didn't like, you know, it's fine. It's great. I love, I love that. Like, I realized with this last show that what I actually do enjoy having is a workout room, you know, like a show where um, there are comics who are, they get paid to do stand-up most times, so they, like, are looking for spaces where they can get more genuine feedback for the material that they are just now starting to work on or, like, polishing up, and then... The other half of the lineup is comics who are really happy to be on a lineup with that first set, you know, and this is a show that they're proud to be on and to promote and they come and they do their A. So the thing is, oh, fuck, I forget this is so public, but fuck it. We're here. <laughs> We're here now, Jake. Fuck it. Um, so the thing is, like, you know, it was a really great show. So nobody go back and look at the lineup and like think about anything about any person, but. I realized that what I enjoy is a thing that has absolutely no capitalist value. You know what I mean? Like, I am not booking famous people. And when I book famous people, they don't retweet. They don't promote. They don't, like, help your show in any way. You don't get an audience because of them. Yeah. So it's a small show that... I don't know that I enjoy doing, but that it becomes low stakes and is not really important to anyone. So I sat through the show, enjoying it very much, laughing and then being like, oh, man, I could just like go to other people's shows <laughs> and like enjoy those. So I don't know. I think maybe for the rest of the year I'm out. We'll see if the venue wants me to do something in November or December because I was already down to one a month. And um it's just not looking like I'm having the opposite experience. Like, I'm glad you discovered uh, touring, rediscovered touring. I have rediscovered enjoying the show. And like, you know, when you were talking about seeing this band, it made me think of seeing um, this jazz musician named uh, Blind Boy Paxton. I think I maybe even mentioned him on the show once. It sounds kind of familiar. But yeah, he's like from Mississippi or something. And when I saw him, he was like the up and coming blue bluegrass or whatever i don't know what the fuck kind of blues so um what was amazing about him is that he was like uh almost all the way blind but he did one of like one of the best uh crowd work sets i've ever seen and it was at the blue note you know which is in the west village and it's like a big famous jazz club but jake what's funny about jazz is like so it's at the blue note a jazz club that like if you're a jazz person, it's the equivalent to talking about, like, the comedy seller, you know, if you're a comedy person. Yeah. And I literally saw uh, the up-and-coming bluegrass, blues, whatever, uh, musician. He's, like, 24 at the time that I saw him, right? But he's, like, mostly blind, and he's from Mississippi, and I think this is, like, the first time he was playing in New York City. 
and he's at the blue note. So this is like a big deal, you know? There was like maybe eight people in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's what it was like to and, watch Dave Dondero. He's a fucking yeah. legend. And there was like, you know, 20, yeah. 20 people there or something. We're like sitting on the ground Dude. and shit. And it was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And it's fucking fantastic. And so I got to see Paxton be like, in between songs, you know, he would like stop to like mop his brow, you know, and take off his hat and whatever. And then he would, um, because he played like harmonica, he played various instruments and it was just him by himself singing as he played things, you know, and a guitar, I think maybe, I don't know, it's string instruments, whatever. Look him up. He fucking rules. And, uh, but in between songs, he would like talk to the tables in the front. You know what I mean? And so then he like explained at one point that he was like, yeah, no, I am blind, but I can see like outlines in the, like in light and dark. You get me? So then he's like, you know, for example, I can see enough to tell you're a beautiful lady. And he like hits on this lady. And so I'm like, uh, (laughs) he's just fucking excellent. And it's just this very intimate fucking thing where like when he did crowd work at me, Jake, I flushed with pleasure, (laughs) you know, in a way where I was like, this is so enjoyable and great because I know you don't know me. You don't give a fuck about anything. Who I am? You're just doing your show and like engaging the people in your show. And I get to be a part of that. And I realized as you were talking, like, I haven't had that in comedy in so long. Yeah. Because it's just business to everyone around me. And I fucking hate it. And so part of me just wants to go back to just fucking being like a fun weirdo who's always at the show and being a fan. And I can keep having my opinions about it. And once in a while, I'll do a thing. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm having a difficult time figuring out why I should be involved in any other capacity beyond a fan. Yeah. In a very good, positive way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally. like really enjoying my life. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, what do you think? What does that make you think of? No, that's what, uh, me and Anya were kind of talking about on the way down there. Is I was mm-hmm. so surprised. I was so well, not surprised. Like, she seemed cool. But I was very yeah. pleased to, like, um, discover that this person that I was doing the weird comedy instant friendship thing with was like, yeah. um, very much on the same tip is like stuff we talk about in the show. Cause like, yeah. I, uh, most comics, I brace myself for, uh, having to deal with their insecurities while I'm talking to yeah. them. But like, she kind of described having figured out a lot of the stuff recently, especially I think through COVID and stuff like that and figured out that comedy is like a cult and has a lot of things in common with cults and like uh kind of did this the same thing I did where you quit but then you still do comedy and like that's yeah. the kind of math you have to go through if you really want to enjoy this again and you can but you, it, can, yeah. you have to kind of be actively like aware and present and working against all the gross stuff at all times because it's set up in a way where people will if they don't actively hold on will passively sort of let themselves become driven by their own insecurities and stuff and like you know fest is a lineup of like 20 comics or something like that so like at the shows i was very much aware sometimes when i'm talking to somebody like they're all the gross feeling will just be there and i'll like be like don't get sucked into it. This person is just having a weird ego thing because they didn't have that good of a set or they didn't have a perfect yeah. set or they had a great set and they can't even appreciate it or whatever. And like, yeah. you know, you can't. One thing that's like, that's so annoying about being around comedians, if you are a comedian, is like, um, 
you no one can compliment you without setting the compliment up with they also deserve that same level of validation like mm-hmm. <laughs> no one is in a situation to be like you were great and i don't even know how you did that thing it's like i also do that or whatever everyone is protecting their own shit at all times and it's so obvious and it's such a negative feeling it comes off all the time but you can be a comic and hang around these people and just sort of pat them on the head and go you're great and i also i think you're really cool and see how happy it makes them and realize that it really doesn't matter whether, you know, either of you is validated more than the other one or whatever. And like have a pretty good time without thinking about it. But it's weird because you have to kind of actively be like, it's, it's, I mean, it's something like from like Dune or something like we're trying to do the mind control thought. You have to like try really hard to keep all the voices in your head from straying off in the wrong direction. But I think it's possible. And I think it might, I don't know. Maybe this is kind of depressing to think about, but it's like the only way for people like us to enjoy stuff is to kind of have to shake all that stuff off of your psyche while you're doing it. Whereas I guess people who never worked in comedy or something like that probably don't have to. They just enjoy the illusion. But yeah, I mean, is that fun though? (laughs) You know, I mean, exactly, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I think I am a like a good friend and person to know in comedy for example um because precisely because um the feedback you would get from me let's say like if i think something is funny or if i tell you like oh you probably shouldn't do that joke (laughs) you know which i don't usually do i don't fucking go around policing people like if you ask me and then i tell you right uh i think that what my friends can value in that is that I have like literally no stake in this other than I'm your friend and I value good comedy and bad comedy. Right. I mean, like I value good comedy and I can tell what is bad comedy, I guess (laughs) is what I should say. Yeah. So, you know, whereas like, let's say if you have like a traditional kind of girlfriend or wife or partner in your life, they are going to be concerned about like, can you pay the rent? Do you need to get on Fallon? Do you need to do certain things so that you are progressing up some kind of escalator with your career that they can then turn around and justify to you, their friends and to their family why they're dating this comedian who is apparently unemployed or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, so uh, your manager, your uh, agents, they are people who are directly invested in you selling tickets and getting paid more. And the more you get paid, the more they get paid. So their advice is not advice that is coming from a place to make your art better or to make you happier. It is advice that is coming from a place of sell more tickets, get more contracts, which is something you need. That is why those jobs exist. But you, sh- their advice should be tempered with the idea that it comes with a very biased objective, right? Yeah. So I do think it's possible to be friends, people like us, to be friends with the people who are like, let's say they're on an escalator. Let's call it a career, a comedy career escalator, right? We can be on, be friends with them if they can accept that we're not on the escalator, first of all. And if they can accept our feedback or our point of view as valid, even though we are not on the escalator with them. 
And we also would have to be respectful of the fact that choosing to be on the escalator is a valid choice. We live in capitalism. Do what you got to do to get that money and feel accomplished in your eyes and in your parents and your girlfriend's eyes, you know? All right. So as long as we're all like being honest and friends with each, I mean, like honest, we can be friends with each other. You know what I mean? Like I'm friends with treads as long as they are clear that I'm not into their shit, but I respect their decisions, yeah. but I am going to crack some jokes. In a way, <laughs> we're like, if you're going to make some jokes about, like, poly stuff or whatever the fuck, I don't give a shit. I'm not mad. <laughs> you know, like, that's your opinion of whatever you think you know about poly people. I don't give a shit. I'm an anthropologist. I literally studied traditional human behavior. <laughs> so, I can make fun of dreads all I want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right, but I just feel like that doesn't actually play out like that it, because people are so insecure about all this shit that, like, mm-hmm. someone is going to pull their fucking daggers out at some point over the joke totally. first or something. But, like, that also plays into, like, fucking why I got so into that Days and Days shit, man, because I was, I think about this all the time. I forget, like, this thing, the illusion of the community of comedy is often that it is a representation of like entire an accurate sample of the rest of society because yeah. we're so concerned with representation and like lineups and stuff like that and having everybody of every different margin and everything on things but what's like funny about that is that it's sure it's you got somebody from every race and gender and whatever but it's the same type of person from every race and gender. Mm-hmm. So, like, when we were talking about Squid Game, I was like, it's funny because, like, the comedians are all the same character. Like, you couldn't do the show yeah. with comedians because the comedians are all one. The one they're like archetype. the star yeah. stockbroker or one of those types, yeah. you know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they would all have the same story, right? And so yeah. because uh, comedies like that, I always forget that I'm an outsider. And I kind of wasn't like that to begin with. And part of why I feel so fucking alienated a lot of the time is because the illusion that there's a lot of different types of people in here creates like norms get melted extra hard because a bunch of different people, a black guy and a trans Asian woman and a 10 foot tall white guy and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all think the same thing. So that appears to be like archetypal and normal, but it's actually specific to the type of person who is going to, go into comedy and pursue it to a certain level and be around me at a music festival or in New York or whatever like that. And so when I was watching fucking days and days and I was like feeling it, I was like, ah, right. This is who I am. This is the type of person I am. And that band is not like in music crust fucking traveling train kid Google bands are not trying to get on Fallon and play music and stuff like that. They're doing this whole other thing where like whole different circuit. Yeah. Like there was a really good in, in in like the, like the brochure and the app and stuff. They have like write-ups and, in uh, press kits for bands. And I was reading theirs and there was all these really good snippets from like, um, like Houston music press writers and stuff. Houston has really good writers for the arts. And, uh, they were talking about how like one of their albums is like, you know, you can, you can listen to it like as if it's like, um, Fleetwood Mac rumors, but for cross punk, like they sort of like achieved this thing. It bends all these genres. It has a really sad song. It has a fucking hardcore punk song and all this shit. And, uh, it's really cool because it's a snapshot of this thing in motion. And the other thing is that like, um, they, 
just to have been on tour like since 2008 when they just started as these two homeless busker kids and then just like formed into this ongoing fucking moving thing or whatever and have played every state i think except for hawaii and you know there's stuff that happens in there that's like oh they raise all this money for like food not bombs or whatever because they were just like at a festival that was like you know every once in a while they can shake all this like activism sort of stuff off the side of it and like raise money for it or whatever um and the way they were explaining it was like this band is simultaneously known everywhere and unknown and i was like that's what i feel like (laughs) like that's what i do man i don't give a shit i'm not fucking snl or whatever i'm not trying to do any of that shit but somebody knows who i am every fucking where i go because it's part of this other thing this like sort of circusy you know underground whisper network thing or whatever you know and that's cool that's what i want to be doing i want to be a like i want to embrace being a misfit rather than being pissed off about it all the time or embrace being pissed off about it or something because like yeah i am a misfit it's a stanhope model it's just a stanhope there was like moments in like the 90s and a little bit after where some of the mainstream elements tried to pick him up and to be like, oh, here's Stan Hope doing an hour or a half hour. But it's like, if you've only seen something on Comedy Central for Dan Stan, uh, for Stan Hope, you like have never seen the real Stan Hope. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, that is uh, the absolute most watered down, most uh, PG version edited by someone else, just like completely not what Stan Hope is. And it wasn't a case of like, you know, I'm sure more people came to see Stanhope later because they saw him through Comedy Central or whatever the fuck other shit he did. But he really was put on these other things because he was already building that for himself. And so it was like this this thing of like, look how cool we are. We're booking Stanhope. Um, so I love I love that. I'm definitely a fan of that. Um, I don't know. There are two different things that I want to bring up, but I'm like, oh. I don't know how much we want to get into this. One is uh, sort of about a tweet that somebody made that uh, got me thinking a lot. It's not an argument or getting mad, but it is a thing. And then the other thing is Madres, which I did tell you to watch, but I know that you just came back from tour, from tour so you didn't get to it, right? Yeah, I should sleep all day. Uh, and I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's also like not a great movie, but it is a great movie. <laughs> uh, okay. Because, so it's one of these, uh, Bloomhouse. Oh, I guess, yeah. I guess let's start with Mothers, just because you already brought up some of this, um, representation and art kind of thing and sure. who they're representing and if what, whether we see ourselves in it and all this stuff. You know, typical white man shit. So Mothers is a movie that's one of these Bloomhouse horror films, right? That's on Amazon. And, uh, it is about a couple. A Mexican couple who is in the 1970s and it's like a pregnant lady and her husband and they are moving. Dude, I don't even know enough about like California and Mexican history to get all the terms and shit right. But basically they're moving like out of LA into the like more inner part where there are like farms and shit. And they, uh, the dude is going to be like a manager of field workers. You get me? Yeah. And the couple, you quickly learn, um, the woman, Diana, she is like third generation American or second generation American, maybe. Her parents moved to America. Oh, I guess maybe she's first generation then. But point is that, um, you know, as she explains at some point that like her parents would get in trouble if they spoke Spanish in school. So she was like taught to assimilate and they didn't teach her and her sister, um, Spanish, you know what I mean? 
And she, at some point in LA, meets the guy, Beto, who is a, like, just moved here to America from Mexico five years ago, you know? And they fall in love and they, she gets pregnant and she's a journalist, right? So on top of like, you know, being an English speaking, kind of sometimes white passing Latina, she, she looks pretty Mexican, but she's kind of light skinned, you know? Yeah. She is, she also went to college and she has a degree in journalism and she had worked in a, like for a local newspaper in LA for a minute. And then we learned that they fired her basically around the time that she started showing like her pregnancy. Yeah. So. There's this allusion to the whole, you know, feminist movement of the fact that, like, women were discriminated against in the workplace if they were pregnant. So let me pause there to say that this is an excellent movie in the way of it is showing us a different type of non-white horror, right? Because we're uh, entering, like, a lot of situations that I think white people mostly would never even find themselves in that are literally horrific (laughs) and that... I think are like very fertile ground for horror movies to be made from. Right. However, they fail in the execution of the thing they're doing in a similar way to Candyman and to uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone that we've talked about before. Right. Where, uh, you know, I'm not going to ruin the end for you yet, at least, but I would just say, like, this is why I want you to watch it, because it, it is the kind of thing where it's like a Latino version of what is happening with Jordan Peele stuff and some other kind of like black horror stuff that's come out is that although ugh, like I was taught that it's wrong, it's wrong to look at cultures and art even at, uh, along a relativist scale. It is hard not to. Especially when I am used to looking at stand-up as my main form of art that I observe. There is a relativist scale in stand-up, which is comics are not good in the first five years, (laughs) right? They are not great in the first ten years. They really can only be great after ten years, okay? Yeah. And for anybody who, like, doesn't... Yeah, Jake agrees with me. Thank you. Who's like not familiar with stand up? I genuinely mean it like this. Like, one of the problems, and I hope that this is a more eloquent way to put it than I have in the past, right? But one of the problems of like trying to increase representation and diversity in stand up is that stand up is a slow boil art form. You know, like it's very quick to be created and to get response. But for the artist to get good at doing stand up, it takes so fucking long. Like, it takes way less to get good at painting and sculpting and drumming and like you know what i mean yeah it's it, like um yeah. some kind of weird like like karate or something or like mm-hmm. uh, what is that term perfect action like you're it takes so long to get good at doing a thing that when you do it, it takes an instant so yes exactly and so then it looks easy yeah like a magician and so more or people want to try it yeah exactly exactly so it takes so long. So then what happens is like, okay, you know, uh, and this, whatever, cancel me. But, you know, now we're in a moment where there are, there's a greater diversity of black voices, let's say, for example, like, you know, yes, there were black men in the nineties and in the early two thousands who were getting up and shit. But now we have different forms of black masculinity. We have black queerness. We have black women. We have, you know, like all black disabled comics. We have all kinds of different blackness out there being booked in comedy. Um, 
And because there has been more black spaces for stand-up comedy, I think that there is more like viable, good talent that is past that 10 year mark is what I mean. And is like actually like a developed voice. Then, for example, like even in some cases, like Latinos, to be honest with you, uh, 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 trans comics, like in a lot of cases, they are comics who have been doing it for less than five years. But then because these idiot gatekeepers are like, oh, my God, I have to rush to find different voices. They are showcasing people in their first five years or in their first even seven years when they're still doing things that are... uh archetypal forms of of doing stand-up comedy so for example what i would say is uh so eddie azard for example like uh you know uh she is now i guess a trans comic right right honestly she was always a trans a trans comic but what kind of makes her excellent is that she and i and it's unfortunate that i pick her as an example because there are newer or like younger versions of this that didn't get super established being perceived as a white male in drag right right but eddie didn't really do too much stand-up about his gender or her gender didn't do like still to this day doesn't do much material about their pronouns or her pronouns she was has always been the type of comic who talks about the things she's interested about in, which is like history and politics and whatever the fuck. But because she is the person that she is, her point of view as a different person of a different experience is infusing everything she has to say about what she has to say. So to me, uh, a comic who uh, tackles their opinions and their interests, like, you know what I mean? Like, Okay, for example, yes, I give a shit about uh, Latino identity and Latino politics and things that affect Latinos' lives. That is not the only thing that I care about. That is not the only thing that makes me a person or that, you know, like, fills my days up. It is weird to go up and get on stage and be like, as a person of color, as a queer person, here's my jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, weird. Why do you have to talk about your identity directly when you can talk as a person of your identity all the time? It's implied. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like kind of like, were you ever told uh, when writing an essay as a kid that you don't have to say, I think? Yeah, that's like the first like yeah. kind of mistake everyone makes it's makes like, it right looks, because looks... toddlers right or like kids in like first grade right i think about everything because they're just like coming to con like coming to grips with their opinions and their viewpoints in the world yeah i am but, going to explain to you in this essay that yeah it's like exactly weird. but no we understand we're reading your essay we understand this whole thing is your opinion <laughs> you can <laughs> fucking just jump right into that shit yeah. same thing as comics you know um you can see uh, with very new comics, one of the common tropes is like, uh, they will start their set with a joke about what they look like. Or maybe if they have a funny name or perhaps an accent, <laughs> they will be like, oh, don't I look like if an X and a Y had a baby? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Very I'm common thing. Half with, this and half this. Yes. And so, uh, yeah. Where they're in their head about how, like, the first thing you're supposed to do in an expo expository set is establish your identity. And, you know, and then, like, when, if you watch any comic over 10 years, 
they just fucking open. That's it. They just jump right into the fucking thing they want to talk about. As a matter of fact, they look at you like they expect you to know who the fuck they are and like know what point of view they're coming from. And most of the problems with even like people getting offended by jokes is because they're not, they don't know who the person is on stage and what point of view they're coming from. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like, why didn't you introduce yourself with a little expository self (laughs) fucking biography? And it's like, well, you're not really a comedy fan. You came to watch some kind of fucking one man show bullshit. You don't get what stand up is. It's different. It is supposed to be an out of context performance or the context varies based on your knowledge of this performer and whatnot. Right. What do you it would be very funny if Dave Chappelle started his set and he was like, my mom uh, <laughs> you know, did this uh, and my dad uh, yeah. or whatever. And I, I mean, every once in a while there's stuff in there that's like interesting, like something about him that I think doesn't really come up enough. Not to get into to Chappelle discourse again, because no, it's, <laughs> we're done. But um, he had a really good bit back when he was doing jokes in his act about how his uh, he's like hanging out with all these rappers now that he's like a famous comedian yeah. and they're all like talking about being from the hood and he's like not he's like from a suburb and stuff yeah. and that tell i think it's more telling like i think he doesn't realize like how much that actually informs like further totally. opinions that we've like sort of crafted about him and stuff because he's yeah you know well but that's the thing uh, also though you're not it's not a matter of like you can't ever talk about what you look like or where you came from or any it's it's that uh man i don't know i used to use for this shit kenny deforest as an example actually Uh as a positive example that's why i name him is because kenny used to have this bit that like uh for people who don't know him kenny's like seven feet tall or some shit right and uh very new tall comics will immediately open their set with like uh yeah so i'm this high i'm this tall right and they'll get their height oh uh, everybody asked me about my height and yeah do i play basketball or whatever so like they they feel like they immediately have to address yeah. their looks in a way where they don't understand that most people have seen dozens to hundreds of comics and like we don't give a fuck about what you look like what are you gonna say <laughs> you know like yeah. what are you doing uh but kenny had a really good bit i don't know if he still does it that was about the fact that he's basically like a failed division one basketball athlete or like, I don't even know. It's like about something else where he happens to mention that he was a division one athlete and he failed out or whatever. fuck. So he builds this entire bit that is about the fact that he's like tall for no reason. <laughs> you get me? Like he's like yeah. this tall person who couldn't use his tallness for anything cool. Without ever being like, yeah, so I'm this tall and people, you know, like I have to directly talk about it. That's my point, that that is the difference of what comes with years of um, practice and work at it. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Because then this is all related to Madres, which I'm bringing back. Okay. hear that. Let me see. No, you're absolutely right. And it's like, it makes me cringe so hard when I watch comics because you can tell how they're approaching the set, which is really lame if you're like... I hello, you don't know who I am, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, yeah, and it's like, let's see, what else did I want to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, lame. If you're like, yeah. I'm a little person on an assembly line that's being presented mm-hmm. to you, uh, but it's also lame when like comedians who are famous are so 
lost in the you know who I am that then like everything is in that context and like that also kind of sucks yeah. sometimes there's trappings in that um, that's Chappelle's problem right it's like, Chappelle's problem doesn't... entirely yeah the... he's insisting that like you should all know that he doesn't mean anything bad by the things he's saying but he's refusing to hear that not everybody knows you in this way to be like yeah he doesn't mean anything by it and you're refusing to hear their feedback like yeah, stupid. or yeah. that you do know that and still think he's wrong about something, which yeah. is totally possible. But um, yeah. anyway, I think I might have told this story a long time ago, but there's, uh, I'll tell it really quickly because I think it's funny and relevant. Is that there's this guy in Austin who I like? He's really funny. His name's Eric Sprague. Uh, you probably know him better as the Lizard Man. He's entirely tattooed green and like has like prosthetic yeah. stuff on him, and he's like a split tongue and stuff. And he does a lot of freak show stuff. Like works for like Ripley's Believe It or Not and stuff like that. There's like a statue at one of them. He's cool. He used to just be around in comedy, and then eventually he was like, you know, he, he's already a stage performer. He already like opens for Slayer and shit and does sword swallowing. But he wanted to do stand up, and so for a while, he, Eric was just a comic. And it used to be he'd go on stage at like, like an open mic where no one knows who the fuck anyone is. The audience is like these barked in old people who went to like Esther's Follies next door or whatever. And there would be this green human on stage. And so he had to write jokes that explained who he was. But he's a pretty good performer. So he had good ones. He had like like one of them that I always laugh at is just him going as a person of color, because then he would, you know, and then he'd say something after that, but you're like, a person of color? Oh, right, he's green. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his thing, though, is, that always cracks me up, is that I think he, what he really, like, as a comic, wants to talk about is politics. So he would just be... Yeah. So eventually, he got bored of doing the... I'm a green person to intro mm -hmm. his set, and you would just go into the Velve, and there would just be this lizard on stage yelling about like congress and shit with no That's context perfect, perfect. <laughs> and I, yeah. I mean it was i'm dying because i'm like you have to at this level you have to do the one joke up top or something to explain to the audience but i but i think that you're right though that if he had you gone know, on long enough to yeah. where he established himself as like before you sit down you already know yeah. you're gonna see the lizard man he wouldn't have to do that shit anymore and he but i'm saying he would have established himself if he didn't do that shit you think if he yeah man because then you're not a sideshow you're walking up with thoughts as a stand-up comedian that's what i'm trying to tell <laughs> every trans comic every every black woman comic every latino comic is dude even if you are the only one or whatever the fuck on the lineup don't bow into that pressure that you're supposed to walk up and be the token and be the only one talking about Black Lives Matter or fucking gender pronouns or whatever the fuck. No, that's not your fucking business to fix it for everyone and represent every person you are. You're a stand-up comedian. You walk in there and you do your fucking jokes and you just start. You just talk about duck like ducks. I don't give a shit. Whatever the fuck your thing is about, just do it. It doesn't have to be like, Oh, so I came out at this time and like, oh, yeah, so obviously you guys are wondering about my gender. Like, yeah. no, man, just fucking talk about politics. Just fucking talk about movies you hate. Just do the same shit that white dudes do. Like, they don't walk up and they're like, obviously, actually, as a matter of fact, some of them walk up and they're like, oh, obviously I'm a white guy. It's so hard to be a white guy. And you know what? We hate those motherfuckers. Don't be like that. Right. <laughs> The solution is not to be like them, but be a different identity. The solution is don't be like them and walk up and have your own thoughts because your own experience and identity will naturally inform all of your jokes about whatever subject. 
I agree a thousand percent. And like, I mean, this is just stuff I've noticed. Like, I, the first time I ever did anything like uh, showcase wise, industry wise, or whatever, I did a stand up uh, for diversity. The back when it was called that, the NBC thing. I was talking to my friend's manager because he was signed. And he was like, yeah, this is the first thing I look for is like somebody who just comes out and starts talking. If that, yeah, you can tell someone's green if they're like, I'm a little, uh, it's like they're talking, it's a bio- do a little intro yeah. biographical set. It's like yeah. complete red flag. It means this person has not worked their way out of the fucking equation yeah. yet or whatever. But like, which doesn't mean you can't do those jokes, but those jokes belong in an hour. You get me? Yeah. They belong but- somewhere where you want to delve into the context of your past self. But if you have 10 minutes, you should be doing your fucking best jokes about jokes, about comedy things you have, funny things to say about. I think there's two things going on here, though. One yeah. of them is that uh, it's a natural tendency like of people who have not developed like a confident point of view. Yeah. The second thing, though, is that I think the reason that people get stuck in this, even after they're kind of funny, is that if you are from a marginalized group and you are like trying to do this and you are wrapped up in all that like career escalator stuff we were talking about and you're like i have to to do this as a career then you're aware that you need a pander towards like the system of uh the entertainment industry and like the entertainment industry like paint like it is asking you like no we need an asian person do come do the set that's about your parents and stuff in yeah. your fucking life and you wanna, the accent yeah right because they'll they'll give you a sitcom or like yeah. whatever or they'll give you a fucking comedy central presents or whatever like they give out work based on that because they're being pressured so much to check these boxes that it looks yeah. like a celebration of diversity when it's actually this weird thing where you're undercutting somebody's creativity by yeah. a making them successful and be just stifling them in the because they were in the process of like everyone has the potential to to reach the point that you're talking about where you just come out on stage and start talking and have like confidence and be like a, a fleshed out thorough human being but like people are almost being incentivized away from it which is why you almost kind of have to be a weirdo to like yeah to, to not do that you know yeah totally absolutely uh, so I want to bring this back to Madres <laughs> because the reason that I brought this up is because, uh, Madres does the same thing, like I said, as these Jordan Peele movies that had failed, like they fell a little short of being horror, right? So like I had somebody actually like a, a podcast host of another very good podcast podcast texted me and was like, you, you changed my mind about Candyman, right? About like the way we talked about it changed their mind yeah because they had thought that uh, i was not a good horror movie right and then they were like after they heard our conversation about it they were like i see all of the good things that it was aiming to do and where it was like valuable in pushing some conversations forward but it ultimately failed as a horror movie right and i had to be like i fucking totally agree right this is the same thing with Madis, okay? Because Madis, like I told you, the premise is that couple, right? So the the dynamic, and dude, it's almost like crazy because it's the dynamic between the couple itself is a more interesting story than the way they made this horror story. Like, you know how they're making all these like cis white couple movies about relationships? Have you seen this? Like the divorce and like whatever, yeah. the one with Adam Driver. And right, everyone's always talking about them on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I never watch them. Yeah. It, they're fucking terrible. They're always about a cis couple being forced to be on the escalator and they hate their life. You know, like it's just <laughs> fucking stupid. And it's not for us. It's for them to figure out like, why do you keep doing this? 
Just keep watching. Those people are always like talking about that shit, and then they're always making fun of us. And it's like, you don't you see? Idiots! You keep doing the same thing and falling off the top of the escalator, and then being like, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll get married again. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, literally. Sorry. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Madres, uh, so that's the premise, right? It's set in the 70s, and it's a couple that is um, a woman who is an English-speaking first-generation American, so she's fully, like, legal, uh, went to college, worked as a journalist for a little while. He is, uh, he came to America illegally from Mexico to work, you know, to just, like, try to make a better life for himself. He meets her, they fall in love. By the time we see them, they are already in love and married and she's pregnant and they're moving to this town outside of L.A. From L.A. to like a rural part of California where he's going to be a manager of uh, field workers. Right. And part of the deal is that they get this house. Right. So it also has the horror house element to it of like you're moving into this old house that you don't know and you like find she starts finding stuff in the attic from the people that used to live there and it's fucking creepy as fuck so like the whole setup and the um uh the way they paint the setting i guess it is rife with the possibility for horror jake because it immediately like brings up like labor shit you know what i mean like uh beto he gets hired by this like whiter mexican guy named Thomas and like he spells it like Tomas but when Beto calls him Tomas he's like no I I I go by Thomas so then Beto's like oh I thought because of the spelling my bad you know sorry about that and then Thomas is like yeah no I know that that's how it's spelled but I I'm like fourth generation American I don't speak Spanish like my name is Thomas you know like that kind of thing yeah so there's like these Hockey. ways where there's like, yeah, there's like nuance in the, the different types of Latinos. You get me? And specifically here it's Mexicans, but like, uh, how, how the number of generations in your family inside or outside of America is almost like a class system within itself because it literally grants you different, um, privileges, right? So, uh, I forget. Fuck, I forget what they're called, but Tomas is basically the the um, great-grandson or grandson of one of the Mexicans who came for when one of these presidents, I think it was FDR, made it, like, legal temporarily for a bunch of Mexicans to come to California to, like, help with the labor shortage. But then as soon as they helped work everything, they got kicked out again, so some of them stayed illegally. Look it up. It's, like, it's got a name. It's got a whatever. Sure. Or watch Madres and you'll learn. So basically we see this like disparity between even this community where it's like all Mexicans ostensibly. But then uh like Diana goes to, you know, Beto gets hired to be a manager and Tomas is like, yeah, no, we're really glad to have you because I'm sure the workers will love to have a quote real Mexican as their boss instead of me. You know what I mean? Like, so this is like a white passing Mexican being like, telling the recent immigrant Mexican, like, oh, you're a more real Mexican to the other Mexicans than oh, I am. Oh, interesting. So they will take you as a boss better than me, but you're a company man, right? So there's, like, a fucking whole weird labor yeah. weird shit going on. And then there's, like, a, the pesticides they start using. Like, you see, like, pregnant lady workers working in the pesticide-filled fields. And we all know that there are real fucking shit that happened in the 70s and 80s where they were poisoning Mexican field workers with this shit. 
so this is what I mean of like it's just like rife with like opportunities for going with like horror and body horror, you know, like real opportunities for criticizing society and the history of American like labor and agriculture and immigration and all this stuff, right? Yeah. So they like hint at it, and so we get the the immigration stuff, the pesticide stuff, the pregnancy complications, because then there's like you know they're like out in the country, so there's like one little um clinic that the women can go to if they're pregnant, and it's like a white doctor with two white nurses, and they're you know very nice and paternalistic or whatever, but then so there's like this whole hint of the limited access to healthcare in America, right, and that that's based on class and money um. And then I don't want to ruin it for you, but basically, I mean, I don't know. I should. No, I'm not going to. Oh, I'll watch it. You should watch it. But basically, the reason that I bring it up is because there are a lot of, like, successful parts to this movie, but there are a lot of parts where they left the horror on the table and they didn't go there where they should have. And they should have made this scene bloody and they should have made this be like, we know. We, like, literally, okay. You know what? Okay, let me put it this way. Forced sterilization is a thing that ends up being a theme in this movie. Okay. And the thing is that it's pla- it's uh takes place in the 70s where they're saying they're like, "Oh, you know, something happened in the 70s where Mexican immigrants were being forced forcibly sterilized or like unknowingly sterilized." This should literally happen in 2021 in an ICE facility this year, yeah. like last year. So it is not a thing that is extreme or horrific and unimaginable because it is literally fucking happening right now. Yeah. If you're making a horror movie about it, what you should be doing is making it extremely horrific, <laughs> you know, like going to the most extreme and using that body horror that we saw in like Videorama or, you know, uh, is that what the movie is called? Uh, Videodrome. Videodrome. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Videorama. let's get into Yeah, I'm like, what's that? Uh, Let's get really fucking dirty. But instead, uh, they kind of like uh, allude to all of these ways in which Mexican immigrants for the last 20 to 50 years have been horribly oppressed and like mistreated and whatever. And then, Jake, they end it with the that the protagonist family, everything is fine for them. They figured out yay for them. And then they end it with like a bunch of slides that are like, uh, lessons on like when this has happened in history. Right, sure, me? yeah. Well, so instead horror. of being horror, we just ended up with a documentary finish. Yeah. Ruined it completely, even though I totally understand you're talking about real important things. So then, uh, I don't know, I don't think I brought this up, but do you remember that I invited you to go to a talk at the new school? There was like a virtual Zoom thing yeah. about like artists and ethics or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A long time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't go, but I went. And what happened was that I wrote in a question and one of the speakers got super mad at my question. I remember this, yeah. <laughs> because it was like uh, one guy was a sociologist leading it and the other lady was a... A choreographer, a ballet choreographer, and they were having like a talk on the ethics of artists. And then they opened up a Q&A. And so for the Q&A, I asked a question where it was like, how would you advise artists who are concerned with how to incorporate their political ideology into their art without turning their art into some like preachy thing that is no longer aesthetically 
what they would hope it would be, right? Yeah. And she got so mad at this question, right? Because she was like, anybody who would even ask this has internalized the idea that white art is superior because it's depoliticized and whatever fucking it's like, no, man, that is not at all what I am doing or what I'm saying. I am actually telling you this is a thing that artists are concerned with because that especially I, I honestly think that like maybe it's because she's a dancer and there is no such thing as a literal phrasing of politics and dancing you get me mm-hmm. but in stand-up and in film there is a, a literal version of putting your politics up using your words versus using your words in a and your imagery and whatever the fuck in a um subversive not direct manner you get me yeah does that make sense yeah so all of this is to say that why I brought up the the fucking thing about like the uh, being on a relativist scale or whatever is that I do feel like part of what is um, weighing Jordan Peele down and part of what, because Madres is like Latino actors, Latino writers, Latino directors, they are ta- like, they are totally bringing attention to excellent topics that will be so good to delve into, but they stopped short. It was almost like, they were overwhelmed with the fact that they have this like social responsibility to spread some kind of political message that outweighed the aesthetic form of their art. Whereas I think what would make them more powerful is to, because you're not politicians and you're not organizers and you're not fucking protesters. You're artists. Yeah. What you should be doing is making your art really well. Right. You, no? The, yeah. It, totally. Like, it's not seeing the forest for the trees. Like, a piece yeah. of art, art kind of speaks to you subliminally, and yeah. it it doesn't have a purpose, but it does serve purposes. So, like, uh, off the top of my head, um, here's an example. If you made, like, a heavy-handed Jordan Peele movie about, um, like, colonization of the Northern American continent, and like Native Americans, I think it would be on some levels less impactful than The Shining, which is not a movie yes. that is even on its surface at all, maybe even intentionally about colonization, but like there's a lot of really good analysis of it yeah. about how the horror is like, I mean, a lot of haunted house stuff in America is about building your house on a fucking indigenous burial ground or whatever. But like that movie, just because it evokes such fucking rich images then becomes like stuff that like, this is very unquantifiable. Just for example, later on in your life, when you're taking a class and you're fucking discussing, uh, you know, what happened in America, you will, you know, have these like images and tools and stuff that then like on this very abstract level lead you to think about stuff. Or maybe you won't, but there's like a million pieces of art that lay the groundwork in a million different ways for that type of thinking. Right. And that's how art yeah. actually works. But what we're doing is yep. like undercutting it. Right. You don't, you made me think about something else when, uh, when you brought all this up um because especially because i was thinking about fucking standard for diversity that program i was in like a long time ago first year comedy completely dumb that i was in it right but um uh one of the first comics that was ever in that program was donald glover and i always think about him because (laughs) when i whenever i was especially when i was real young in comedy and i went and did industry stuff like that I figured out pretty quickly that like there's this inherent problem because uh 
they want you the industry in comedy wants you to be under 25 and been having done comedy for 30 years which is impossible right they want um you to have all this like skill and wisdom and stuff Mm -hmm. but they want to be so young that you're really marketable and also no one's gotten to you yet so that when (laughs) someone in this industry so be 22 but also 45 right because (laughs) like this impossible scenario enables like someone in an industry to cash in real hard if they catch like this golden goose right and so because it's impossible, what you get is the illusion of it in certain people like uh, Donald Glover, where they think that there's there's this myth of the um, uh, the prodigy. Right. So yeah. someone who's like maybe just predisposed for whatever reason naturally or they were raised in a certain way or whatever to where everything links up and they're able to perform on like an auteur level somehow decades before everyone else in their life right that fits really well in the system it makes people you know a lot of money when it happens and you get that but i honestly don't think it's a real thing i think it's kind of a myth and with donald glover he was when he first like kind of came out he was being like sold as this fucking renaissance man who like he's a playwright he's a screenwriter he's a rapper he's a a comedian (laughs) he's all this stuff Uh oh my god he did a song with fucking that band that indie band but he's doing hip-hop what he mixed genres nobody knows how to do that Mm -hmm. and like all this stuff was very effective at creating this like like blasting you with these fucking accomplishments that were like fucking hundreds of people went into all those things and they were like stilted up but like as the work of this one guy and you know, a lot of this stuff is fucking great. I honestly think it's all of it's overhyped to some degree, though, because he's a h- fucking hype. He's a p- p- focus grouped, like, you know, person yeah, who's totally. like being sold yeah. to you at all times. I don't know. No one knows who the real Donald Glover is. Right. Um, and, and the Donald main Glover doesn't know who the real Donald Glover is. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and his, he's not good at stand up. Like he's no. nobody is sitting around in stand up no. circles going, did you hear the new Donald Glover? I got a, how did he write that joke? Like Never. that was just yeah. part of the PR machine for him. Weren't and, you the one that was tweeting about like stand up not being like the main thing and like, uh, why it makes sense that they use it as a vehicle. It was you, right? Probably. I've talked about this a lot because I'm just yeah. kind of fascinated oh, okay. with them. Because yeah. like, no, uh, I just remember being like, like in all your tweets, probably tripping. <laughs> being like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, Jake is right. <laughs> the thing that always killed me about him is I listened to WTF back in the day when it was first mm-hmm. kind of popping off and it was huge and like everybody got one, you know, especially like yeah. on the come up back then. And so mm-hmm. his WTF, because WTF is the show where everyone talks about how much they love stand up. He yeah. on it on his episode was like. Yeah, music is cool, acting is cool, but stand up is the main thing. It's always been stand up, oh, and then like never that doesn't never hold up. Been stand up, you liar. Well, it's ten years <laughs> later, and you're not still doing yeah. a ton of stand up, dude. You're, you're not doing, doing it shit. at all. <laughs> and like his music has been kind of like like he had that one big song, and like a rapper from Philadelphia also, was like, just had one idea. <laughs> this was my song. Like they kind of like yeah. ripped off my song, and like all of it's <laughs> fake, but. It's because uh, they needed, like, they were trying to do the thing you're talking about, where they're like, get somebody to, you know, to check this box and to like yeah. speak as a, as a, as a, as a, you know, um, yeah. and it probably undercut. And I'm not trying to be too negative about Donald Glover here. He's clearly a very talented guy, but like, yeah, you totally. probably undercut the process of him becoming like an Eddie Izzard, you know? Exactly. Yeah animated uh the split focus was encouraged instead of 
giving him the time to figure out what was actually going to be his thing that was his lane that would have made him shine. Yeah. I don't know. And maybe now it's acting because that's what made him the most money and the most famous. So that's going to be it. Great. He should be. I mean, he should be fine. I don't know what he's doing now. I have no idea. I'm sure he's a bazillion <laughs> uh, dollars now. I mean, he made it land. Yeah, but I'm stuff. sure he's fine. Exactly. White so I don't people know, like but... him very uh, un. Uh, what's it called? But he's definitely not doing stand up. Like no. he's not. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know. I I think it was you, and it is a thing where I think that maybe we all just have to accept that stand up is. Just like a not marketable form in the way that like ceramics <laughs> isn't. It's just like a thing you do if you love it. And yeah. maybe you're really good at it. And it's like, cool, you get some credits of some kind for being good at the thing you do. But to make money, you should be doing another thing. And if you don't love doing stand up, as I've said a million times, don't do it. Because it's it's like being like like playing like squash. Why are you playing squash if you don't love playing squash? You're not going to get famous. It's not in the Olympics. <laughs> it doesn't make you money. Nobody gives a shit about it. <laughs> it Like, nobody gives a shit about it. And yet I love it so much, Jake. It's extremely terrible. I think part of the problem is that it was cool for a minute. Like, when yeah. I started doing it, like, what, 10 to 15 years ago or whatever the fuck. But I hated that. Me hated too. the 90s when I did that. Ugh, because I got into stand-up like... And I'm not saying this is like, oh, my God, I got there earlier before anyone. But I did get into it at a point where it was still kind of alt, you know, like it yeah. was like the San Francisco scene. And like, you know, it was um back in the Pete Holmes Marin days. And, you know, before then, duh, shut the fuck up before Pete Holmes, <laughs> before I'm like Pete Holmes's age, I feel like. So it was like when he was still a kid, he was like a goddamn Christian pastor. Okay, Patton Oswalt, Sarah Silverman and Sarah Silverman. Yeah, to me, exactly. that's all part of one big blob where comedy was uncool and then it became like, oh, wait, it can be alt. And then that yeah. bled all the way into funny people and stuff yes and then exactly we're, we're, it's, it never stopped we're, what it is we're slowly tapering down because all these people like got into it thinking like oh this is cool it's going somewhere and it literally doesn't yeah. go anywhere like what you're talking about so now it's like question mark should you do this shouldn't you i don't know <laughs> you know I yeah no you shouldn't i uh I'm 100% a discouraging factor for stand i'm like only the crazy people who are like I love this. I can't not do this. I can't stop. It's great. This is the thing I want to do all the time. Like in the way like gym people to me are crazy, you know, like people <laughs> go to the gym three times a week and they fucking love that shit and they are friends with the other people at the gym and they take their fucking protein shakes and all that shit. They're not going to pay for that. They're paying to go to the gym, Jake. <laughs> like they are being like, this is the thing I want to give money for because I love to do this thing every day. And the results that it produces are in my own body. And it makes me happy to look in the mirror and see this. I think that that like, that's the way that I look at pottery. I am paying to have studio access and to have a person like teaching me and be there available to help me be better at pottery and then I make pots that I walk out with and I put it on Instagram and I'm like, oh, my God, look at my beautiful pot. I'm not going to get famous. I'm not going to be on a list of the best pottery makers. I'm not yeah. going to make money off of it. It's not even a prospect. But I'm fucking I already signed up for uh, through March of next year. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about your pottery thing and it inspired yeah. me to take a, 
to do some other shit, which I'm not even going to mention yeah, on the show because I don't even want people it to It helps know. you. No, don't mention it. But, but Jake, <laughs> honestly, like, you, if you just pick like some random shit like welding or whatever. Yeah. You will be doing that thing and then you will have like mental clarity because you're so focused on this task in front of you that all of a sudden the thought that you had about comedy will clarify and like that joke will work out and you'll be like, oh shit, I got to stop welding to write down (laughs) that I figured out this joke. Oh, totally. It's Yeah, it's awesome. Like I had to pause and clean my hands and shit and like wash my hands to like write something down to be like, oh, this is a good tweet. (laughs) This is a a good revelation about what I have been thinking about about Madres or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's great because it's like a form of meditating where you're producing in a low stakes way and still engaging your brain and your body into doing something creative. It's beautiful. I love it. I really encourage. Uh, I actually, I've said it before, but I, I think about and I quote your allegory, I guess, to a lot of people since you said it to me. The thing about the guy that just goes to the skate park to, sp- to skate and yeah. like not, he's not preparing to be on a video or to like be in front of Tony Hawk or to go to the Olympics. He just likes to go there three times a week and fucking do all the ollies and fucking try all the lips and all the shit and then chat with people and then go home It's for the love of the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I want to be. And that's who I want to be friends with is the guys at the skate park who are just there three times a week because they love to skate. It's the happiest person in the world. Yeah, man. Sees through the bullshit, you know? Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah man. That's why I want to uh, start a crusty band and travel the world by train. <laughs> with, with just bucket drums? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I have no rhythm, so I can't help you. But uh, it's okay. watch Mothers so we can talk about it in detail. Unrequired because... in punk music. Yeah, I know. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't need rhythm? <laughs> you don't okay, good so at music. Uh, but listen, watch Mothers because I also think... Um, you will probably have like better connection and more insight into it than I do even because you will probably see like a reflection with some of the family members and stuff. Oh, totally. Uh, and it's interesting and it has so much potential, but then it just ends in a documentary way of being like, let me teach you a lesson about how Latinos are being oppressed. You know, yeah, that's you're bad like, but I'll watch you it. just ruined my horror movie experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all right. Sometimes things are good and they have a terrible ending. Squid game was like, yeah, that. Exactly. I know. Ugh. But we'll see. Squid Game hasn't ended. Aren't right. they possibly doing a second season? And then I guess. I we'll would see. It's imagine. It's not going to be good. <laughs> I bet you it's not going to be good. Yeah, it'll probably get worse. But who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we didn't get to Dune, but we can just talk about that the next time. Uh, or let's talk about it on the Patreon episode. We can do that. Sign up for the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash why you mad pod. That's what everything is. Uh, also, email us because we'll answer emails uh why you mad pod at gmail.com and i have nothing else to plug because i am free (laughs) (laughs) what about you jake um i'm trying to be free but i'm doing (laughs) stand-up i'm doing uh big break comedy here in brooklyn i love big break i'm gonna be there to see you do big break november 13th in brooklyn that's my pinned tweet right now and in uh, brooklyn it's at a fun place uh they have good snacks upstairs like uh, fried pickles, uh, delicious <laughs> mac and cheese, and excellent uh, grilled cheese with like fontina and all these fancy cheeses. It's delicious. This Highly will, recommend. That'll get them in the door. 
<laughs> yeah, man. I'm like, come and get some snacks. It's real good. And uh, also the comedy will be really good and the hosts are really fun. It's a fun show. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Other than that, no things to promote until next year, except for other, my other podcast, Pod Damn America. That's it. <laughs> yes. Email us. Bye. Bye. Why are you mad? Why are you mad?